0: With a valuation of over $2 trillion and a worldwide iconic brand, Apple is arguably the most successful and influential company in the world. But it wasn't always like that. In fact, there was a time when Apple co-founder Steve Jobs left the company in the early days when the Macintosh was only one year old. We'll talk about all that and more today on Apple Kino Chronicles. Apple Keynote Chronicles is made possible by our awesome friends at Linode. With Linode, you can simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud bills in half with their Linux virtual machines. To put it simply, if it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Hey guys, how are you all doing? If you're new here, welcome. My name is Crazy Ken, and welcome to the very first episode of Apple Keynote Chronicles. And our mission here is to chronicle every single Steve Jobs' Apple Keynote or Steve note, as we like to say. And we're not just going to talk about the physical events that take place on stage, but we'll also dive into the backstories, the products, and our own personal experiences too. And along the way, throughout this journey, we'll have some other surprises kind of woven in throughout time. Throughout this whole crazy ambitious journey, I am joined by Brad, the crazy guy who agreed to do this with me. (laughs) (laughs) Brad, thanks for agreeing to be on this show, which is probably going to consume about a year of our life force, probably longer.
1: <laughs> hey, you know, that's okay. We were just talking before we started recording that uh, it's a very pleasant uh, surprise. You know, mm-hmm. we've uh, watched a lot of keynotes and have talked about keynotes and stuff. The and new ones. So, yeah, yeah, the new ones, the, the new ones. And so, uh, but then that got, you know, you get into talking about it and you go back to the old ones. And I think we both just had a passion for it. So we're actually going, I'm even these first ones we're gonna talk about, I had never seen before. Right. Um, so I'm really looking forward to doing it. Thanks for asking for having me.
0: Absolutely, freaking And of course, Brad's not gonna be the only one here. He's kind of like the main co-host, but we plan to have other special guests on the show. In fact, I've already had a few people tweet me. I've had two people tweet me that they were actually in the audience during some of the keynotes. And one person who tweeted me was also a stage hand. He said he was a producer like backstage or something like that. So if we can get more, like behind the scenes people on the show, that would be awesome too. So lots of cool potential surprises there to come. So we're starting at the beginning here, before Steve Notes were really a thing. This was before Apple events were really big. They are like a show, like they aren't just some product demo, they are a show. Millions of people watch them when they live stream them now. It has become a full blown production. Almost kind of like a mini Super Bowl for us computer guys. And the first major Apple product event was held at the Flint Center on January 24th, 1984. But we're actually gonna rewind a little bit to late 1983 to the sales conference in Hawaii. So Steve Jobs is talking at this conference and he's kind of setting the stage for where Apple is gonna go in January where they reveal the Macintosh to the public for the first time. Well, officially for the first time. It wasn't really a very well-kept secret, but uh, you know what I mean. So Steve kind of has this, I don't know, rallying speech or whatever you wanna call it. And you know, feel free to chime in with any of your own adjectives, Brad. But uh, he's kind of like behind the podium setting the stage for like, IBM is our enemy. IBM is dismissing the personal computer. And like, this was when the Apple II has already made like $300 million. That was a personal computer, but you know, IBM was into mainframes and stuff. They weren't interested in the personal computer. But then what happens? IBM gets into the personal computer market in the early eighties with the IBM PC. So now Apple and IBM are the biggest competitors in the personal computer market in the early eighties. So then Steve is like, Will they dominate the entire computer industry? Was George Orwell right? There was this whole, like, 1984, you know, the book 1984, like, mentality behind this whole thing where it's Apple trying to free people from Big Brother and the Thought Police and all that stuff. Will Big Blue dominate the entire computer industry? The entire information age? Was George Orwell right about 1984? So then Steve previews the 1984 ad to the whole audience. This was before it aired during Super Bowl 18. I believe it was Super Bowl 18. And uh, the audience was going kind of crazy, as you can hear. (laughs) And there's an insane, I don't know how you want to define insane, but there's a pretty crazy backstory here. Did you look into the backstory? Of this commercial, of the commercial, I mean, I've known of the commercial for before.
1: Probably longer than me. (laughs) Well, the commercial is yeah, it's a very famous commercial in like the advertising world, and one of my favorite filmmakers, Ridley Scott. Oh yeah, (laughs) you know, is the maker of it. So I mean, they really went all out for this, and it's a powerful piece. I mean, this is still referenced today. It
0: is, yeah. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up because. uh, you know, Epic Games is having this whole debacle with Apple right now, and what did they do with yeah. their like press material? They made an animated version of this 1984 ad. I
1: wouldn't be surprised if actually this is the most parodied ad of it all might time. Be, like, I bet there's a Simpsons version of it. There is a Simpsons version. A, yep. A Family Guy like name the be. show. There's some <laughs> version of this because uh, Apple is kind of like one of the most parodied companies. Oh, totally. Even, you
0: know? Yeah, they totally are. Yeah, I can confirm for sure there is a. A parody on The Simpsons. It was from the episode My Pods and Boomsticks. That is one of the <laughs> best episodes ever, in my opinion. Valve did a parody of it when they released Steam on the Mac. They had Dr. Breen on the Big Brother screen. It was really funny. And yeah, you know, Epic did it. So that's that's at least three right there, and I'm sure there's like a dozen.
1: <laughs> but no, I don't. I know the the making of it. I know it's quite famous, but if there's mm-hmm. more history to it, uh, I'd love to hear it.
0: Yeah, and I actually only learned about it more recently because I'm starting to sink my teeth into Walter Isaacson's bio biography which by the way is an amazing biography about Steve Jobs we do have links in the show notes if you want to get it yourself. Shiat Day was the agency behind this ad and I believe Apple has used them for multiple things and Lee Claude was the creative director and as you mentioned Ridley Scott was the actual director director and uh i think at that time didn't he just finish up blade runner or something yeah i can't
1: i think blade runner was maybe made in 1982 or something like that so yeah it was a pretty big hit though yeah Yeah. i'm sure that's where the that's where a lot of the visual that has the visual style of like blade runner
0: so jobs was being pitched this idea that younger people in the counterculture saw computers as scary now I can't speak for myself. I didn't grow up during this time, but if you watch a lot of older movies, especially sci-fi, even um, Space Odyssey, you had the HAL computer, which was mm-hmm. IBM just minus one letter on each thing, and you spell HAL like, oh, com- yeah. Wow, little, I didn't know that. Little tidbit right there. Um, computers were kind of painted as scary, I guess you could say, but also in reality, they weren't really accessible to a ton of people. I mean, Apple was helping liberate the technology, and IBM was making the IBM. PC now, But before that, it was mainframes and punch cards and all that stuff. There wasn't a computer in people's homes. It wasn't like that. So people didn't really know what computers could do for them, they just saw what they were like on movies and TV. So that was the Orwellian future. And Jobs wanted to fight against that, hence the whole 1984 idea. And, you know, he was kind of a rebel himself. Even at Apple, the Macintosh team was kind of, you could call it rebellious. I don't want to say they isolated themselves, but, you know, they had their own area at the campus. They had a pirate flag, you know, waving in the air above their building and stuff. So. They were kind of, um, I guess you could say the Island of Misfit Toys, I don't know what you want to call them. (laughs) But Steve Jobs wanted to fight against that. Now, what do you think? Is that maybe a little hypocritical considering, even at the time, the Macintosh was a closed system, Steve wanted end-to-end control?
1: I mean, it's definitely a curious way to open it up. As you watch these later keynotes or appearances, he's very passionate about giving power to the developers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and talking about starting things out small in a garage. And so it doesn't seem that hypocritical. He seems to sure. really believe it.
0: In my perspective is it may sound hypocritical. And I know they, in um, the Fastbender Steve Jobs movie, they do have the Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs scenes where Woz is like, people want slots, you know, they want slots, they don't want a closed system. So it can look hypocritical, sure. But yeah, I think Steve's vision was a little bit different. And it's not like you couldn't expand it at all. Like you can still plug stuff into it. You can run third-party software. It's just, it just didn't have quote-unquote slots. So we're going to talk about a guy called John Scully, <laughs> <laughs> the CEO at the time. He came from Pepsi. And, you know, the famous line is, you know, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life or do you want to come with me and change the world? You know, Steve asked John Scully that. So John was the CEO at the time and he was skeptical about this whole commercial. I mean, we look at it now. It's an historic piece. It's been parodied everywhere. It's still referenced today, even though it came out like, what, 40 something years ago. It's still famous today. But back then, I can, I, I can probably understand why I'd be a little skeptical too. But in the end, they got a $750,000 filming budget and it was shot in London with that like very dystopian atmosphere and something I didn't know. I thought everyone in the audience watching Big Brother was just an actor, but apparently they were real skinheads that were brought in to film. Oh, wow. Yeah, they were not extras. Like, they were not actor extras. They were real skinheads. (laughs) Wow. You know,
1: um, I guess that makes sense as someone who's um, lacking in the hair department here. (laughs) I'm glad that uh, we've moved beyond that it's, you know, that I can shave my head and have that today. Sure. Because that was a thing. I remember even growing up, like, baldness was, like, kind of associated with that uh, more. So... That's kind of crazy, but maybe back in the day, maybe, you know, we are talking, like you said, like 40 years ago yeah, or Yeah, 1980. So. Maybe that was the way. I, I guess I don't know how I feel about that, but different times, I guess.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure how they really pulled it off. I did read about it in the biography, but I don't remember them saying, like, how it was done, but I'm sure the agency has some story posted somewhere. Wow. Yeah, I don't know how that was really pulled off, but they were really going all out with this thing, so... Steve plays it for the or Scully someone plays it for the board during a board meeting and everything I've read about this story like says the same thing about this next part at least one board member had his head on the table when the video was over he was like (laughs) like, a lot of them really didn't like it a lot of the board maybe even all the board did not like the ad but in the end it did air during Super Bowl 18 it was in between plays cut to two seconds of just ominous black, and then this ad rolls, and it went viral. News was talking about it the next day like crazy, and this was before YouTube, so this was probably as viral as a viral video could get before social media and YouTube and Vine and everything existed.
1: <laughs> like, it was, it was a pretty yeah, big deal. I can't imagine that would be very powerful, and of yeah. course the suits wouldn't like it. Of course they didn't yeah. get it. Everybody wants to, yeah. you know, that, that is not something, that is fully Steve's... Look, you can see it in his face. I I think it's uh, one of the best moments to watch here. Is I think it's one of the happiest I've ever seen Steve Jobs. I was gonna say, the moment yeah. the the commercial ends and when people are going ape and clapping and it's like getting this extended to plus Steve, he almost can't contain himself. It is not the measured Steve. It has it's a smile. It's pure pride.
0: Oh totally. And uh, I encourage anyone after the, you listen to this podcast episode. I have links in the show notes for the keynotes and stuff. Go ahead and watch them. Yeah, he has like a huge beaming smile in multiple parts, and I think you can even hear him like to himself over the microphone a little bit. I I wrote down, I think... (laughs) uh he knows he nailed
1: it. Yeah. Like, because that's the thing. He was taking this risk and when mm-hmm. the audience reacted like that, I, I would imagine that's when he knew that it's going to work like that for yeah, the yeah. Super Bowl
0: audience. Totally. And we're going to absolutely dive more into the that shareholder event because he kind of showed the ad twice. He showed the ad during the sales conference, but that was a smaller audience. Later, actually January 24th, 1984, he showed it to like 28, whatever, 100 people at the Flynn Center. So back to the sales conference for a bit. There was another fun little thing they did called the Macintosh Software Dating Game, which I thought was cheesy as shit, but it was 1983, whatever. So Fred Gibbons was there, Mitch Kapoor, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, he was the guy behind Lotus, and Lotus one 2, 3 and all that software, pretty big back in the day. And um, Brad, I don't recognize this other guy's name, Bill Gates. Have you ever heard of him? He yeah, must of small... have had a bed <laughs> <laughs> there. No, Bill Gates was there. Obviously, everybody knows who Bill Gates is right now. This was back when he was at Microsoft and Microsoft was one of the earlier developers for the Mac, maybe even the first, I'm not sure, but very early on and Bill said that Microsoft expects to get half its revenue from Macintosh software. And I just wanna set the stage for people. Pretty much everybody knows what Windows is now and Microsoft and all that stuff, but this was before Windows even existed. This was before PCs shipped with Windows. This was before Windows. This was before all that existed. Th- they were developing software for other companies. And there's this fun little soundbite I have here. Well, to create a new standard, it takes something that's not just a little bit different. It takes something that's really new and really captures people's imagination. And the Macintosh of all the machines I've ever seen is the only one that meets that standard. So yeah, I always kind of enjoyed that one. I, I was
1: gonna ask you <laughs> though, yeah, uh, yeah. in that, I don't know really about Bill Gates' history too much, but is he being sincere there, do you think? Or is he, you know, just
0: going along with the show? So. Dang it, Brad. That's that's something I've I've thought about. Cause like obviously there's the Pirates of Silicon Valley, you know, that mm-hmm. the historical fiction like biopic that kinda interprets this a little bit differently. But what was actually in his head, you know, I don't know. I've thought about that, but I've never come to any conclusions. Cause the tricky thing is, he knows Microsoft's working on Windows during that time. And obviously Windows is ginormous now. Like they had a plan. Um yeah, that's yeah. what I'm wondering if he's, yeah, yeah it is, is that the point where,
1: uh, y- you know, you just try, you're, you're trying to read, you know the future right there. It's just so, and that's what huh. I'm saying, like this one's so weird to read because every it's really, it's zany. (laughs) This part of the, this part of the conference is zany and it's a very loose Steve in the way of like, which Mm. you've rarely seen him. And, and Bill Gates even, you know, he's a little stiff, but even at some point he's cracking up at something Steve did. And I was wondering, do you think you could even like with Apple being a $2 trillion company, could any company worth anything uh, close to that Pull something off like this today, or is it too zany because everything's worth billions and trillions now?
0: Yeah, I, I mean... I think they have their own style of, are you talking about like the presentation? The, like pulling The presentation, off? doing yeah.
1: the game and all
0: that. I, I think nowadays it would be totally amateurish coming from them nowadays. It, it was kind of a very cheesy thing. If you guys want to watch it again, the links are in the show notes, but brace yourself for 1983 cheesiness. But they have their own style of humor now, whether it's Hair Force One running through a parking <laughs> garage or whatever. Um, they have their own style of humor, but yeah, nowadays this wouldn't fly. But it still shows that they put some culture and fun into their presentations. They weren't just like, okay, let's read the minutes, let's do the thing, you know? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure, man, that's a really good question. I haven't read a biography about Bill Gates, but I probably should. But yeah, that's a good question. Uh, If anybody listening knows, uh, feel free to tweet me uh, if anyone knows, like if Bill gave an interview or something, but yeah, if I was in his position, I feel like I'd still be happy for Apple and I'd be honest. I'd be like, the Macintosh is really cool, but I would still know in my heart, like, well, this is a business and I am working on this other thing. So now we get to like the coup de grace. All our French viewers are probably gonna hate me right now. I'm, I'm not French, I'm sorry. We get to the big meat of this whole story for this first episode, the shareholder event, January 24th, 1984 at the Flint Center at De Anza College. I actually went there a while ago. It was surreal to see it in person, you know, just from the outside, there was no one there. I couldn't get inside. Uh, but it's really cool. Unfortunately, it's getting torn down. Kind of sucks that such a historic place is being torn down uh, for student housing, but I'm not sure how much that has actually progressed with COVID going on and everything. Uh, Have you ever been there, just swung by it in California? I
1: haven't. Uh, I mean, I've spent time in California, but uh, not really in that area uh, mm-hmm. for a significant amount yeah. of time. It's it's uh, pricey to stay out there. So
0: yep, I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> it's at De Anza College, and they actually filmed the the Fassbender movie there on location. Uh, but yes, that's where they hosted this first grand unveiling of the Macintosh. So back at this time, you know, this wasn't called an Apple special event. This wasn't called a Steve Note or anything. It was just their shareholder meeting. That that's what it was. There's some form. Formal parts to it, they you know, tally the votes and all that stuff. But since they were already gonna have thousands of people gathered together, they thought, okay, well, let's do the product reveals here too. It kind of made sense. The facility could hold about 2,600 seats. I've heard some people say some different numbers, but about 2,600, they were overflowing. They had to have people like stand outside because of the fire laws. There were too many people there every seat was packed and they still had overflow. But thankfully they taped it and this particular taping, again, the link is in the show notes. John Scully introduces it with this little pre-recorded segment and uh, I thought it was kind of funny that they also have this little title in there that says some parts are hard to see because of the lighting in the venue. Uh, Hey, video technology has come a long way. But yeah, there are definitely some dark parts. Steve Jobs talks for like two minutes straight and you can't see his face. (laughs) But it almost makes it more ominous and fun. (laughs) And... I think it was on CNBC Titans where John Scully talked about Steve Jobs, you know, Steve is backstage, and John said he was white as a sheep. Like, Steve was nervous. He was about to do this big reveal. Like so much is leading up to this moment. He was pretty nervous. So, Steve opens up with a poem by Bob Dylan. He loved Bob Dylan. The times, they are changing. It was about like maybe a minute or two. And then he left, and then Scully comes back on, on stage because it's still a shareholder meeting, so they have to go through all the formal stuff. So they, I think they actually bring Al out. Uh, I forgot his last name, but he's he takes care of like the the more legal stuff. He even had this funny quote where he said, "I'm doing the legal part. The real excitement will hopefully not come from me." <laughs> <laughs> so then they play this leading the way video, they, they made a song. It was called like, you know, we are Apple leading the way. Anyway, it wasn't really a video. It was like a slideshow with Cross Dissolves and they played this cool little video, I guess just to jazz up the audience. And then John Scully comes back and he talks about how Apple had $400 million in growth last fiscal year. And he talks about one of the more important things that's happened in his life in the last nine months was his relationship with Steve Jobs. Oh, it's hard to say that knowing what happens later, but uh, we'll talk about that later. Mm. <laughs> but yes, he he's known Steve for the last nine months. It's been a big thing, and uh, John Scully has been integral at getting Apple to where they were at this time. So John goes over the more numbers and stuff, and we're making millions of dollars. This, this, that. You know, we're going to do this. You know, not super exciting, but still important for the shareholders. So then Steve Jobs comes back on stage. And again, TV camera technology, lighting at the venue, but wasn't super, super amazing, but it kind of made it more ominous. Steve recites that, like kind of like you said, like that war cry sort of thing that he did at the thing in Hawaii. And he does it with like more oomph this time, but on the tape, you can't see him. So it's just (laughs) his voice. But I thought it was, it was kind of like a nice setup. And then they play the 1984 ad for the whole audience to see. I still kind of get goosebumps from it. I don't know about I mean, that's great. I mean, that's like the
1: Wizard of Oz or (laughs) something, you know? He's the man behind the curtain and then that Mm -hmm. ad. Can you imagine being in a crowd like that and singing, I bet they they had the sound all great and the image as good as it could be. That would be a powerful moment. Dude, I would
0: love to see that in person. That would be so cool. Yeah, the audience cheered for like maybe about a minute straight (laughs) until they continued. Then Steve makes the point about milestone products in the personal computer. Industry. Earlier, we talked about Apple II and IBM PC. So he reiterates that during this event. There's been the Apple II and then the IBM PC, and then there's about to be this third big innovative new product in the personal computer space one year after Lisa, which was their like pre Macintosh, which was insanely expensive. <laughs> so then that's when he introduces Macintosh and those famous words. It's going to be insanely great. But that's like one of his earlier catchphrases, I guess you could say, was insanely great. And we'll definitely cover his catchphrases a lot throughout this show. So he introduces it at a, quote, mainstream price of $2,495. I don't know. I wasn't alive at the time. I don't know how much I would have been willing to spend on a computer at that time. Nowadays, yes, for what I do. But back then, I don't know. <laughs> well, especially $2,000 and... 1984 dollars. Yeah, that's... yeah. <laughs> I don't
1: even know what that equates to. I'd be willing to guess, f- like... Four now, I'd say. Four, I would About. guess like ten
0: thousand at the time. You want to go to the inflation calculator, Brad? Is that what you want to do? I be just, that's my guess, and maybe okay. I'm way off. going to the inflation calculator. Let's see. Sixty-three hundred dollars. Okay. okay. So all right, yeah, I definitely. Okay. Have, I've never spent. I that only much on a my computer. only
1: guess was that because I follow like movie sure. industry stuff and yeah. like what they made in theaters or what movies cost back then mm-hmm. are so radically lower that the numbers just uh you know compared to what it is
0: today. But the interesting thing is though. There was this debate in Apple, particularly between Jobs and John about the price, and we'll talk more about it coming up soon, but it's like one side, Was like, no, the price is fine. And one side was like, the price is why it's not selling, blah, blah, blah. But uh, oh, spoiler alert. Anyway, back to this. So $2,495. There were some big innovations in here. So we take this stuff for granted nowadays. The fact that we have a graphical user interface, we have windows on our computer and like icons and menus, and we can move a mouse around and click on stuff. There there was that really wasn't a thing. That was definitely super far from mainstream in 1984. The Lisa had it, but the Lisa was like a $10,000 Apple computer, it wasn't really affordable. So the Mac's idea was to bring that Lisa technology with a graphical user interface and a mouse into that $24.95 price point and get into people's homes. So those were the big features. It used a Motorola... Motorola, (laughs) It used a Motorola 68000 or 68K. And that is the type of chip that lets these graphics draw themselves. Because without it, you don't really have the horsepower to draw the graphics. And it was kind of funny. He said it eats 8088s for breakfast. So that was always funny. 128 kilobytes of RAM. 64 kilobytes of ROM, so the graphics package and the operating system are in the ROM. And I thought it was also interesting that they called it K-bytes. It wasn't just Apple, other people said that. They said K-bytes back then instead of kilobytes. Wow. Yeah, We don't say G-bytes now. This was a newer thing at the time. You know, five and a quarter inch floppy disks were the thing, but they were pushing three and a half inch Floppy disks, which were actually more, less floppy. They were more rigid, 400k bytes of storage, <laughs> and built in speech, which is an exciting thing that they demoed, and high res graphics, black and white screen. And it was a third of the size and weight of those honking big IBM PCs. And they also sold an image writer printer. So, not that, you know, dot matrix kind of thing, like you actually got like crisp text and graphics printed out and uh, an external disk drive, so you can plug it in and get more storage. So those were the innovations Steve was pitching, but now he was like, we've seen some pictures of Macintosh. Now I wanna show you Macintosh in person, and that is where I get to the reveal. I love this part. I've rewatched this reveal like 50 times. Not, not like in the past week, but like <laughs> in my life. One thing I do wanna mention though, and you talked about developers earlier, is one thing throughout this podcast series we're gonna talk about a lot is developing applications, because we can't forget, you know, even though the Macintosh is being pitched as this awesome thing, we talked about it in the Macintosh software dating game, you know, we need third-party developers. If developers don't make software for this computer, what's it going (laughs) to (laughs) do? And we'll talk about that a lot more throughout the podcast, especially in the next episode where Steve Jobs has this new plan for developing software um the Macintosh. But just a quick little rabbit hole here. Uh, I'm just curious, Brad, have you ever wanted to de- like develop a website or a web app or like a mobile app? Oh, sure, mobile app. I got ideas for mobile apps all the
1: time. <laughs> do you know how to code? Oh, no, I can't do it. <laughs> I'd love to, but no, I can't. If, no. uh, if it was as easy as uh, clicking a button, that would be cool.
0: See, the thing is, I think we just forget sometimes how much stuff goes on behind the scenes on a website, like how much physical infrastructure needs to be in place. It kind of just looks like magic when we click a button and something happens, but there's so much stuff going on behind the scenes. In fact, I think one of the earliest pizza online ordering things was done with Steve Jobs. Like he helped make the first, not the first, but like one of the first online pizza ordering things where you can, it was like automated from the computer to the restaurant. And we all think of it kind of just like as magic, but there really is a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And the cool thing is our awesome friends at Linode can help you guys make that stuff yourself because it takes a lot of power. But the cool thing is they can give it to you and it's really freaking awesome. So with Linode, you can simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud bills in half with their Linux virtual machines. You can develop, deploy and scale your applications faster, and easier. You know, you don't have to have a giant computer sitting in your mom's basement or whatever. Like these guys have these computers for you. You can use them over the internet. So whether you're developing a personal project or managing larger workloads, overall, you deserve something that's simple, affordable, and you need to be able to have access to those cloud computing solutions. The good news is you can get started with Linode today. We'll give you $100 in free credit just for listening to Apple Keynote Chronicles. You can find all the details at Linode dot com slash computer clan. And when you use that link, it's in the show notes, it's in the description, go ahead and click on that. You get that hundred dollars in free credit and you are supporting this podcast. So thank you very much. Linode is helping make this all be possible. And they have data centers around the world with the same simple and consistent pricing, regardless of location. So just choose the data center closest to you. And uh, hey, Brad, another question for you. When you have a problem and you call tech support, do you like talking to a robot? Uh,
1: No, absolutely (laughs) not. I avoid it at all costs.
0: It sucks, doesn't it? So the cool thing with Linode is 24-7, 365 human support with no tiers or handoffs. Regardless of your plan size, you'll get that 24-7 support. You can choose between shared and dedicated compute instances, or you can use your $100 in credit on S3-compatible object storage, manage Kubernetes, and more. To keep it simple, if it runs on Linux, It runs on Linode. So go ahead and visit linode.com slash computer clan and click on the create free account button to get started. And again, link is in the show notes and in the description, go ahead and click on that. Thank you to our friends at Linode for making this podcast possible. So go ahead and enjoy that. So Steve Jobs now talked about the Mac. Now he wants to show it in person. This is the first official public revealing of the Macintosh and he's like, all the images will be generated by what's in that bag. And he walks over, takes the thing out of the bag and like Mostly complete darkness. It's kind of hard to see. And he puts it on the stage and starts the reveal. And what were you going to add in here? Oh, I mean, I was just saying it's like such
1: a Steve Jobs reveal. This is Mm -hmm. like the precursor to the iPhone to the MacBook Air to these iconic reveals like of the past, even everything from pulling out the the floppy from his jacket pocket. And I love that consistency. I love that, you know, he always did that and that Apple still tries to do that today.
0: I totally agree. You watch him do a grand reveal from like a 2004 keynote or whatever. It has such a similar feel to this 1984 one. He, he like really nailed it from the beginning <laughs> he, he knows how to rile an
1: audience up and you can see he's just he's a showman like I mean mm-hmm. basically he has the same after the whole reveal and everyone's clapping and going ape he has that same smile that same sort of pride of like he knows that he did it like oh yeah he's he's a master at that. That's why we all love him because like that's we want especially when you're gonna drop that kind of money on a product <laughs> yeah. you know.
0: He he could sell um, a fridge to a Eskimo. (laughs) (laughs) So he starts up the demo, Chariots of Fire starts playing, full disclaimer, the Chariots of Fire music wasn't being generated by the Macintosh. That was one of the plans, and Andy Hertzfeld actually wrote a program to make it play digitally, the uh, Chariots of Fire song, but Steve didn't like it. It didn't sound so good. So they went with like a traditional, I was about to say CD recording, but it was in 1984 mm-hmm. or so. <laughs> uh, studio recording, whatever you want to call it. Um, they played that over the PA system while the Macintosh generated images. They had a camera pointed at it and they were image magnifying it on the big screen. Here's the funny thing though. Did you know the Macintosh on the stage was actually not the one they were selling? Like that wasn't the model that was available to people. Oh, no, I did not. <laughs> that, that's the thing. They don't... Of course, they don't say that during the keynote, but... Remember earlier how I said the Macintosh came with 128 kilobytes of RAM?
1: Oh, yes. This is the part in the movie where they kind <laughs> yeah, of run the demo. Yeah. They
0: talk about it in the movie. Obviously, the movie condenses the timing where it's like they're rushing backstage and stuff. In reality, it didn't happen that way. But, yeah... The Macintosh they were using on stage actually had 512 kilobytes of memory, not 128 RAM specifically, I mean, not counting the ROM. And we'll talk about why in a moment. So, <laughs> he, he, like you said, he pulls the disc out of his pocket, he inserts it in the disc drive, the big Macintosh title scrolls across the screen as the music plays. You see screenshots of MacWrite and MacPaint and fonts, like fonts on a computer screen, like, what? That was practically unheard of. Seeing that stuff pop up, it was super... Freaking cool. You saw the stars twinkling with the insanely great drawing on the screen. And then Steve wants Macintosh to speak for itself. The probably like the coolest part of the demo. Hello, I am Macintosh. It sure is great to get out of that bag. Unaccustomed as I am to public speaking, I'd like to share with you a maxim I thought of the first time I made an IBM mainframe. Never trust a computer you can't play. Obviously I can talk, but right now, I'd like to sit back and listen. So it is with considerable pride that I introduce a man who's been like a father to me, Steve Jobs. The audience goes on to cheer for like, about two minutes straight. (laughs) And he's got that beaming smile on his face. That demo was freaking awesome. It's really cool that they pulled it off. But yes, they really, couldn't pull it off with a Mac 128K because it wasn't gonna work properly. And like you said, they do mention this in the movie. So there was an Apple II software called SAM, it stood for Software Automatic Mouth. I don't know if they did any tweaks to it or whatever, but I know they renamed it to Macintosh for the Macintosh, but the 128K Mac couldn't play it. So they used a 512K uh, model on stage to make that speech demo work. And it blew people's minds, as you could see. But the real 128K Macintosh couldn't do that very well.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, um, in talking about him being a showman, you know, that is... But the thing... (sighs) I guess the benefit of hindsight, we can look back. I can give it to Steve Jobs. We know how passionate he was. He's always been about, like, you know, bringing the future and making technology, like, frictionless. And you know that if he showed it, he's going to make that happen someday. Right. But also, I would be not happy if I thought that (laughs) the computer I was going to buy could do the things they showed me.
0: Yeah, I mean... He did mention that speech was built in, and I'm not sure, I've never actually owned an original Macintosh, it's a goal of mine, but I'm not sure, maybe it could do speech to an extent. It couldn't just do that much. I'm not actually sure, I've never tested it myself. But uh, yeah, I I would hope it works to at least a little bit for, you know, $2,495 computer. (laughs) But according to Andy Hertzfeld, they were actually working on the 512 at the time. That wasn't just a stage model, that was actually a prototype. Oh yeah, wow, that's kind of cool to think we were actually looking at a prototype the whole time. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Nah, never really thought about that before. There were only two in existence. And the 512K, I believe, went on sale later that year. It wasn't insanely long after. I think it was within a year you could get a Mac 512K. So Steve was trying to push this idea of the computer being an appliance. He wanted it to be simple. He wanted it to be quiet. You know, like appliances are, like a fridge. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, he didn't like fans. He wanted it to be quiet. So the Mac didn't have a fan in it. And He said the Mac is gonna be, or he wants it to be, I'm not sure of his exact words, but he wanted it to be the second desktop appliance. The phone is number one, every desk had a phone. Well, maybe almost every desk had a phone, but he wanted the Macintosh to be the next desk appliance. And it was for the knowledge worker and the college worker. I thought that was a cool little mm-hmm. rhyme they did. They were targeting people in the office and people at educational institutions. There were tens of millions of people they could target with this. And the Olympics were coming up. So they had a five part ad campaign that they aired during the Olympics. And I believe the overall tagline was the computer for the rest of us. Cause at the end of every ad, it would say Macintosh, the computer for the rest of us. So that was their ad campaign in addition to 1984 from the Super Bowl they played earlier.
1: Well, it definitely worked with the educational market because, I mean, that's where I remember it from is like seeing, I don't know how long they kept that design for throughout the. Quite a long
0: time. But
1: uh, there was always, uh, at least when I was in school, a a Mac like that Mm -hmm. sitting somewhere in the room. No one ever used it. It wasn't really (laughs) a thing,
0: but it was always just sitting there, you know? And I also just want to give context to people who probably aren't aware. Apple still had like a huge hand in the classroom, like Apple Twos were everywhere. Not necessarily Macintoshes, like some people mix them up. Even though they're both by Apple, the Macintosh mm-hmm. is separate from the Apple II. So Apple Twos are still everywhere, but yeah. It that, looks you like- know, That, that all in one design. Right, they were there, design, just yeah. not really. The thing is, okay, I'm trying to put myself <laughs> in the shoes here. It's like, I'm picturing myself as like, back in the 80s, I'm, I'm just thinking like, I have an Apple II, I love the thing. I've used it for years, I like Apple a lot. And then they come out with this other thing. But to me, I'm just gonna be like, well, I already like the Apple II so much, why would I bother moving to the Mac? I feel like I would be hesitant maybe to move over. I'm not saying that's how everyone felt, but like even though the Mac was cool and stuff, it takes time to, for people to realize what can be done with
1: it. I would have been all over it for sure. I would have been I mean, a sucker for the all-in-one design type thing. I mean, that's what I'm always looking for. Whenever they come out with, you know, the iMac Pro, like, uh, you know, even the iMac from the beginning, like mm-hmm. I'm always a sucker for what is, you know, kind of what you're saying. Like, what can make this less of a computer and more of a
0: appliance, yeah, more of just something, appliance. yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I might have been all over it. I mean, I'm all over a lot of that stuff now. Like, when the first iPad came out, I was first in line on the first day. When the Apple Watch came out, I ordered it at, like, 4 in the morning in my underpants. So, like, you know, I, nowadays, yeah, I'd probably be all over it.
1: I, <laughs> I mean, the design, too. I mean, it's... Of course, it looked uh, dated for a period of time. But now, like, what we're coming back to, I feel like it, it still feels kind of like, uh, I don't know, like, steampunk sci-fi retro, you know? Like, I mean, <laughs> I feel like that kind of look is... Uh, it's still almost modern in a way now. It's almost said, a modern again.
0: Yeah, I mean, I still kind of like it, especially with Mac effects. They actually make clear versions of Mac SE cases so you can have that compact kind of Mac look, but it's see-through. So even like modern day people make case mods and stuff like that. And well, it's still-
1: and as you're clicking through this, I remember, you know, like they made a big deal about picking it up. And, oh, the um, handle you know, built in? Yeah, the handle yeah. built in, being able to pick it up and move it. That was the reason the very first Mac I ever bought was the iMac G5. That was all just the screen. And I oh, bought yeah. an iLugger case for that too. Oh, yeah. iLugger was this company that made like stuff for blimp and they made this case because that was like, wow, I can carry around this thing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so like that even carried through to today. So... I would have been sold on, yes, here's
0: a computer I can lift. That is just too cool, too futuristic. Never trust a computer, you can't lift. Apple was big on handles, and we'll talk about that more throughout the show. They revealed a bunch of products where Steve specifically showed the handle. He was all about handles, and it, you know, it makes sense. nowadays, not needed as much because computers are much lighter, but you know, the first iMac weighed like 38 pounds. Yeah. Handle please.
1: (laughs) You know what, this trend is still going on today. Like this is the trade-off. How small, minimalistic, portable can you get the thing and still have it? You know, we were just talking about it wasn't powerful enough, the unit at the thing to do the text-to-speech. Oh yeah. But like, that's like what we're getting to now with like the the M1 stuff and the MacBook Air. It's like delivering on that dream. That's what I'm saying. Like. When looking at these old keynotes, you kind of see that like, we're really delivering on a
0: lot of the dreams that were Mm -hmm. just, uh, you know, not quite there back then. Some things never change. We see today, like Apple makes their computers really thin, but you know, there can be heat problems with that. I mean, they're moving away from that since they're moving away from Intel, but with Intel, there's been issues with thermal throttling and overheating with the really thin designs. That is one of the issues that did happen with the original Mac is it had no fan. Oh, that's so negative. We'll talk about that in a bit. (laughs) We'll, We'll focus on the cool future right now, beating big brother and everything. So. Then Steve plays what he called the Macintosh, like group video, like the production team video. It was a, he actually called it a multimedia presentation because it wasn't a video. They, They, I don't know why they did this. Maybe it was just their style. It was voiceover narration with like cross dissolves of photos, even like someone maybe like moving their hands but it wasn't like real time video. It was like cross dissolve. That's just what they did, I guess. So Andy Hertzfeld, who was uh, on the Mac team, starts with a little voiceover and the slideshow starts playing. But one thing, I have actually not seen this video before I started planning this podcast. At 5926, I thought it was interesting. They show a prototype Mac. It's It's got a clear case and a five and a quarter inch Twiggy drive on it. And I remember you asked me earlier, like if Apple shows any of that kind of prototype stuff now, and like nowadays they don't, but I thought they really never did, but I guess I was wrong. In this video, they show the prototype Mac to the whole freaking audience, <laughs>
1: mm, that, but you in, know. interesting tidbit. Yeah. Because, yeah. uh, that would be curious to know where does that fit in the Apple lore? I guess we kind of, that's part of what we like about Apple now is that they drop, would you want to see prototypes today? Or do
0: you want to just have this design dropped on you? I mean, I would maybe like to see prototypes after the fact so they don't, you know, ruin the magic. But that's kind of the funny thing with the leaguer community and the rumor community. Sometimes it happens by accident. <clears throat> iPhone 4. <laughs> <laughs> which will be in a way future episode because that happened in 2010. I actually, I'll put a link in the show notes. I did a couple episodes about Apple prototypes if you want to check them out. There's some extremely rare stuff in there. I visited this guy, Hap. Really cool, rare stuff. Links in the show notes of Apple prototypes. But yeah, they just showed this one publicly to everyone. It's got a clear case so you can see on the inside as you're testing it. But the thing I'm really excited about is it has a freaking Twiggy drive in it. So you know how they pushed the three and a half inch disc. This was before that. This is when they were testing the Mac with a five and a quarter inch disc drive. And the cool thing is there are some Twiggy Mac prototypes out there that aren't in a clear case that are actually in the beige case. So they look like a Mac, but with the five and a quarter inch slot and not a three and a half inch slot, they are out there. So
1: are you saying that it was getting like that that three and a half inch thing was uh,
0: like kind of maybe a pivot at the last minute? You know, that's what I was thinking about. I don't remember reading about it, but I've thought about it. Yeah, I kind of want to go revisit on that later. Maybe I'll have to re-research that. But it seems like, yeah, that was not an initial plan to have the three and a half inch in there. I think it was kind of a later thing that came on. So the video keeps playing. Um, again, I encourage you guys to watch it after you listen to the podcast. I mean, the whole thing is like an hour and a half long, so I'm not gonna talk about every single second of it. Uh, there's a lot in there. So Steve comes back on stage. He talks about the Lisa technology. Again, the Lisa was this really expensive computer, wasn't really affordable, but it had this technology in it to draw the menus and the windows and the icons, all the stuff we use every day and take for granted. But like back then, that wasn't really a thing. So he mentions, you know, this is the Lisa tech. We're putting it in the Macintosh box. We're shrinking it down, making it more affordable. But then he mentions the imitations. He explicitly says MS Windows. So he knows Microsoft is working on Windows. It wasn't out yet. I mean, it's out now. Obviously, it's huge. Everybody, <laughs> like a bajillion people use it. But back then, it's, it's crazy to think that it had zero users at one time. That's just so... Mind-boggling. So the thing is, they didn't just unveil the Macintosh. They unveiled a whole product line of what they call 32-bit Super Micros. It kind of reminds me of the iPhone event. Like, we're not doing one, but three revolutionary products. He's mm. like, we're not doing one, but three more Lisa's. So they do the Mac and then they do the Lisa 2, which is an upgraded version of the Lisa with a three and a half inch floppy disk drive as well. Then the Lisa 2 5, which was basically Lisa 2, but with a five megabyte profile Winchester hard disk sitting on top of it. Five megabytes, woo! <laughs> <laughs> and then a Lisa 2.10, which had a built in 10 megabyte hard drive, which was like 5500 bucks total. 10 megs, man. Whoa, she. that's nothing now. <laughs> um, and the cool thing was, if you had a Lisa 1, you can get upgraded to a Lisa two 5 for free. And the whole Lisa line was compatible with the Macintosh software as well. So that was their strategy for 32 bit super micros. Three of them Lisa's, one of them Mac, different price points. So then Steve exits the stage and Al comes back and talks about, you know, he has to do some of the more official stuff. Cause again, it is a shareholder meeting. And he talks about how not everyone could enter the auditorium. This is where he explicitly brings up the fire laws thing. They couldn't let more people in. And he said, I think my voice is being piped outside. I can't confirm if it was or wasn't, but if people were outside and his voice wasn't being pumped, sorry, you missed it. That would suck though anyway. You couldn't see what was going on. It would be like, why are they cheering what am i looking at? <laughs> i don't know but that's what he said but he did mention the whole event is taped i mean that's how we have it now it was taped the struggles of pre-internet events man like now apple just streams their events and but like back then it's like yep if you missed it you gotta like oh yeah how there's no way you would ever see these things back yeah. in the day they they rebroadcasted it on television like it was like kt48 or whatever it was in the area I think they also did a, like a movie theater screening or something like that. They replayed it with a Q&A panel or something like that. Oh, this that. is but,
1: interesting. I wonder if there was like people bootlegging VHS's like- There uh, might have been. Back in the day, yeah, like. I don't know.
0: I have no official like confirmation of that, but that wouldn't surprise me. But like if I was Apple, I'd be like, whatever, free advertising. <laughs> So then Steve and Scully come out for a Q and A, which is like, that's usually not part of the event. Like nowadays they'll have like separate press things, but this was actually like part of the taped event. They did a Q and A. So I thought it was kind of funny where someone in the audience yelled, what's the availability? And Scully was like, Hey, if you want to buy one, you can buy one, but you better hurry. And then this is actually where uh, Scully mentions the 512. Someone asked a question about RAM and he said, we intend to introduce a 512K version. So it was public information that they were working on that version, but it wasn't necessarily at the time public information that that's what the audience was actually seeing demoed was a 512K prototype this whole time. And uh, Scully also mentioned they had over 100 developers working on third-party software for the Mac. And then that particular event Wraps up, and r- right, Brad? Everything's all good? The the Mac went on to be a huge success. We're, we're all good. We're all done here. Future like I looks said, bright. We, they, we got them in every uh, classroom, and yeah. yeah, we're still looking future, at today. Future yeah. looks bright. Wrong! Kind of sucked. <laughs> 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 like, it was... Um... All new things come with struggles. And like I said earlier, no matter how cool of a thing it is, people have to like actually realize that it's cool. Like they may not get it at first. And I'm sure you and I have been through this before where you find a cool thing. And I might be like, well, I don't really get it. That's why I like that. You're kind of the forefront of that stuff. And then you show me and it's like, okay, I get it more now. (laughs) But um, that's kind of the thing. You kind of have to sometimes just be persuaded more. The Mac had some struggles. So then on April 24th, 1984, Apple hosted what Steve Jobs called the second major product event. I don't know if it was officially called this, but a lot of people refer to it as the Apple II Forever event. I thought it was kind of odd that Steve Jobs comes out on stage to talk about the Mac success, and there's this music playing, Apple II Forever, and it's like, really? Really? What? There's
1: odd music choices across all of these things. Uh, we didn't even talk about it in that first one, but that, that there's... There is oh in interest- the dating game yeah well before the dating game even before like uh at uh, before Steve Jobs comes out and gives that war cry there's like a song playing that's like some sort of Apple version of um, oh
0: yeah yeah oh yeah uh, so they called it Apple leading the way but you're right it is a parody of a song and it's on the tip my- a De Blasi's like shaking his head right now like Ken dang it you should know this uh, but uh well um it's like yeah. What I'm feeling,
1: I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But it's like the the Apple version of that or something. Weird song choices in these keynotes at, at points, yeah.
0: On top of that though, if I was trying to say that the Macintosh is the future of Apple, and I'm coming out on stage to talk about how the Macintosh is doing, and they're playing music saying the Apple II is the way to go, I might feel a little weird. I don't know, that's just me personally. I don't know if that was going through Steve Jobs' head, but it's like, they were, because they were two different product lines. Same company, but two different product lines. The Apple II and the Mac were different. Any he came up on stage and talked about the first 100 days. And one thing I noticed that was odd in this presentation was, Steve would kick his leg. You could see behind the podium and he would like do a little like leg swing. And I don't know if it was if he was just nervous or something, but like I've never seen him do it in any other taping. But at this particular Apple II Forever event, behind the podium, he would just swing his leg. <laughs> if there, I bet, uh, you know, I've watched uh, plenty of
1: YouTubers who do uh, like body language breakdowns. It'd be really Ooh, interesting if someone
0: yeah.
1: could analyze, you know, the Steve Jobs thing. Because I bet that is a tick of trying to hold back some sort of, you know, thought that yeah, got like going like on. like you,
0: you want to say something but you can't and it's like a nervous habit to try to keep it down. Oh, for sure. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners have watched the Steve Jobs movies. There's been tons of movies about him and one of the newer ones, or probably the newest one at this time is the Fastbender one written by uh, Aaron Sorkin, was it? Yep. Okay, did I pronounce his name right? Yeah, was Aaron it? Sorkin, okay. Danny Boyle. Yeah, right yeah, it? that's right. In the movie, and again, it's it's a biopic... It's historical fiction, I just want people to realize if you watch it, don't watch it for educational reasons, watch it for, you know, just for fun. In the movie, Steve is like, the Mac is gonna sell a million in the first 90 days. I've never seen any information through any of my research that that was actually a goal of his, to sell a million in the first 90 days. What he reports during this presentation was they wanted to sell 50,000 in the first 100 days, not a million and 90. So the real goal was 50,000 in the first 100 days. So he goes up there, he presents, and by the way, he uses a Macintosh to do the presentation, You know, clicking through the slideshow and everything, which I thought was pretty cool. And he talked about how the Apple II, which was driving Apple, most of their money was coming from the Apple II at this point, the Apple II took two and a half years to reach 50,000 sales. The IBM PC took seven and a half months to reach 50,000 sales. The Macintosh sold its 50,000th unit in 74 days. So they exceeded their goal. And at the time they had 250 developers on board and they were projecting 150 applications by year end and there was probably more to this event, but for this particular tape, that was it. The footage just ends there. So I'm guessing there was more. I can't find any more tape of the event, but that, that's basically the chunk that I needed to know. So now we kind of go into the aftermath of this. It's been a hundred days since the Mac came out, over 50,000 sold. So far, so good-ish. <laughs> if you're hitting your goal,
1: you're hitting your goal. Yeah.
0: The problem is though, the momentum kind of lost steam. In the second half of the year, sales kind of started flattening out a little bit. So we hinted at this earlier, inside the company, there was this debate of the Mac is too expensive or is it too underpowered? And it was underpowered. Let's be honest, 128 kilobytes of RAM and there was no hard drive either. So you couldn't store anything like on the computer. Nowadays, it's like, whatever, save, whatever, done. But like, you couldn't do that. And the GUI was beautiful. You know, the mouse and everything, like that was one of the big selling features of it. But on a traditional computer, If you display a character, that uses at most like a byte of memory, probably less than a byte of memory to show the one character. But because the Mac had to draw everything in the quick draw environment, it took about 20 to 30 times as much memory just to draw one character. So 128K, maybe, okay, good. But if you're using like 20 to 30 times as much memory to display text, that's a little bit of a problem. And again, no hard drive. You couldn't store stuff. So, have you ever thought about, you know, like Airdrop, like how freaking cool Airdrop is? You can like do your phone, like, hey, I'll send you a file and it, you can send it to your Mac or your phone or you iPad. It all the time. Freaking awesome. Have you ever thought about what it's like to copy a file from one floppy disk to another floppy disk on a Mac that only has one disk drive and no hard drive? <laughs> I am old enough to remember the
1: days of uh, having to burn a lot of DVDs and CDs back and forth for video production and stuff, so I can only imagine going backwards from that.
0: Yeah, it was kind of, kind of like the whole back and forth thing. Like, a lot of people call it disc swapper's elbow. So, let's say I had a disc and another disc and I wanted to copy one file from one disc to the other, I would... Eject, oh gosh, I've never done this in person. So I'm trying to picture it in my head. I've never owned an original Mac, but I think it's something along the lines of like, you would have to eject the disc. Now the operating system would still work, but like you couldn't execute anything. It would say, please insert a disc, but like the screen was still on. So you'd eject the disc, then you insert the new disc. Maybe you're gonna copy a file off of it or whatever. So then it pops up on the desktop. Then you drag the icon to like a ghost disk. It's ejected, but it still pops up there. So you drag it to the ghost disk. So then it's gonna go, you know, read the disk data. And then it's gonna go like, please insert the other disk. So then you gotta take that disk out and then put in the other disk. Then it's gonna take the file it just put part of in the memory and write it to the disk. Now that's already written. Now it's gonna say, please insert the other disk. So it's gonna eject that disk. Then you have to put the other disk back in. And it's going you're gonna have to do that over and over and over as it copies small chunks of the file into the memory, you have to swap the disc manually, put the new one in, and then it will write that from the memory to the disc, and then you have to swap it again, disc swapper's elbow. Wow, yeah, I'm
1: exhausted just listening to that.
0: It's kind of a pain. Um, If you had two disc drives or a hard disc, it was much easier, but the stock Mac configuration didn't have any of that, so you had to do disc swapper's elbow. And I don't know if this was like a bug necessarily, but I've read stories. Of folklore.org is a good place to read early stories about this. I'll put a link in the show notes. It was written by the Macintosh team. Uh, I think there was one of these early bugs with the Finder where sometimes the overhead would be massive. So the more RAM the Finder was using, the more you'd have to swap the disk. But if. The bug was cooperating or whatever if the bug went away and the overhead was less then the disk swaps would be less so on a good day you maybe do six swaps on a bad day you maybe do 20 <laughs> to copy a file or something like that <sighs> i'm glad we're not in those days oh yeah anymore. yeah yeah we're done with that crap but that's that's how it was back then so uh, another thing i talked about was there's no fan now there's ventilation on the top I think their pamphlet called it clever ventilation, but there was no fan, and there were hardware failures with that. I think some newspaper magazine called it the beige toaster because uh, it had overheating issues with no fan in there. Well, (laughs) did they sell some sort of upgrade where you You got a cast iron skillet or something? (laughs) Yeah, Cook an egg with it. No, not officially, maybe a third party did. There we go. <laughs> but yeah, it, it had some hardware failures because of the heat. And again, at this time, the Apple II was generating most of Apple's revenue and with Mac sales going flat, didn't look so good for the Mac. So Scully wanted to keep the Mac's price high. Remember I was hinting at this earlier, but I didn't name drop. Scully was the one that wanted to keep the price high because he didn't think the price was the problem. Jobs thought the price was the problem. Jobs wanted the price lower. So at March of 1985, Mac sales were, I'm gonna let you guess, Here's the budget of how many sales we want to have by this point. What percentage do you think they hit? 15. Oh, you're pretty close, actually. (laughs) 10%. They were 10% of budget. That's bad, that's really bad. <laughs> yeah, that there's gonna be some unhappy meetings yeah, revolving yeah. around that. You're a kid, you wanna sell 100 cups of lemonade today, you sold only 10, that's not good. So Steve and Scully were butting heads a lot and a lot of employees also didn't like Steve's behavior. He was, he was an emotional guy. He was a very emotional guy. Um, I'm not gonna say what parts were exaggerated or not exaggerated in the movies, But if you've ever watched interviews of people talking about Steve or read the biography, like he he is very emotional to the point of even almost like soap opera-ish, taking a picture of him and John Scully and throwing it and cracking the glass in the picture frame, like in some, Drama. Well, you could see it in just the way he
1: does the speeches and the drama of it. He's very theatrical. He is. So. He is absolutely. I mean, he truly is theatrical. Like, yeah. that's how he lives the world. Yeah. And this is maybe just him a little, I don't know even how to say it. Uh, it's like uncorrupted and unhinged. And mm. it's before he's been almost, you see it later. We'll talk about it when we get into the next episode. But it's a different Steve. He seems to be a little more. I don't know if humbled is the word, but wise to the business world. He,
0: it's almost amazing. And that's why I'm so excited for episode two. He has gone through like a complete transformation, but it was like a 12 year transformation. But yeah, I would agree. Not necessarily humbled, but wise, yeah. So Arthur Rock was one of the board members at the time. He referred to Steve, at least in the biography, the Isaacson biography, he referred to Steve as a petulant brat. (laughs) <laughs> Which kind of describes it, I mean, Steve is young, like he was thirty at the time, so you know whatever, young startup company, yay, you know, he wanted to be more in control, but the board was like, no, 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 no no, ultimately, the board went with Scully and his plans, and Jobs didn't want to give up control over the mag division, he was not giving up on this thing, so Scully had to take a business trip to China, and Steve starts planning a coup and Scully caught wind of the news and like canceled his trip in the middle of his trip. And on May 24th, they have this executive staff meeting and Scully confronted Steve about the coup. And he gave the board an ultimatum. He was like, you can have me or you can have Steve. The board sided with Scully. And, um, you know, there's different perspectives on stories depending on who you ask. Steve Jobs during his Stanford address, have you watched his Stanford speech?
1: Yeah, not in a while, but yeah, Mm -hmm. I have seen it.
0: Yeah, in that he claims he was fired, which, you know, for all intents and purposes to keep the story short, he said he was fired. And I guess you could say he was, but he technically wasn't. Even though the board sided with Scully, Steve could still be there. He was the chairman, but he didn't really have power in the company. So in the end, Jobs wanted to start his next company, I mean that in the proper noun sense, it was actually called Next, Mm -hmm. capital N, lowercase e, capital X, capital T. He was starting this company and he wanted to take some people with him from Apple. Scully wasn't super happy about that, but Steve was like, these are not like high up people in the company, but it's like Scully found out like the list of, I think it was five people, give or take. He was like, Steve, these are not like low people on the totem pole, like these are important people, key people you're taking from the company. So I'm sure they argued a lot more over that, but uh, he, he got them, he got them to go with him to next. And Steve's letter of resignation, written on a Mac, by the way, uh, was dated September 17th, 1985. He officially resigned and Apple's stock went up a point at the announcement of his resignation i thought that was kind of kind of <laughs> funny So, yeah, he he wasn't technically fired, but he lost a lot of power. You would say, I mean, basically forcing someone out, making him
1: uncomfortable. I mean, especially for someone as as theatrical, as truly passionate, as visionary as that, you have to imagine, you know, I'm sure being a creative yourself, I mean, supposedly be in an environment where you're technically surrounded by the things that you love, but have no say over it, that would be more miserable than leaving.
0: So, yeah. Yeah, that's probably how he felt. I'd probably feel like that too. So he lost power and wanted to build his, what some people call his revenge company next. So to kind of sum up, it sounded like things were going pretty good at first. You know, the Apple II was making a lot of money. The Mac sounded really promising and it got off to a decent start. Sales went flat though. And then ultimately Jobs and Scully were butting heads and the board sided with Scully and Jobs ended up leaving. But this is where episode two comes in and this is why I'm really excited. What's coming up next on the next episode of Apple Keynote Chronicles is Steve starts getting things back on track because Apple is close to insolvency. They are losing so much money, but Steve Jobs is doing this thing at Next and Apple ends up acquiring Next and Steve Jobs for over $400 million. Dollars. And this is years later. I think they just realized like we need Steve Jobs back. He, he's he gone from Apple. He was gone for like 11, 12 years. They buy him back with his next technology for over $400 million. Dollars. And that is what we're gonna talk about in episode two. That's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. I'm really excited about this next one. So if you guys wanna follow along, which I super hope you do, Make sure you subscribe or follow whatever your app says. If it says subscribe or follow, it's all free. And hey, if you like the show, If you'd like, please leave a rating. If you want to leave a review, that's cool too. Some apps make you write a review to leave a rating, you know, whatever you want to do, you don't have to rate it. Only if you liked it, go ahead and leave five stars, leave a nice review, whatever you want. But if you didn't like it, you don't have to rate, you know, you don't have to rate it, that's cool too. You can go somewhere else. But if you've been listening to us this whole time, I'm sure you liked it by now. And uh, I'd love to see you guys stick around for episode two. So definitely subscribe for that because we are just getting started. So Brad, is there anything else you wanted to share about this? Amazing first chapter of this crazy wicked Steve Jobs Apple Mac story. (laughs) Uh, You know,
1: I'm just really excited to uh, go back through this. Um, You know, a lot of these ones that we're watching, I haven't seen yet. I've probably seen Mm -hmm. all of the Apple keynotes from like around maybe the second iPod or Mm -hmm. right at the third, somewhere in there um i've been a big fan since so all this is new and it's really just so fascinating i really encourage anybody who's listening to this it's well worth your time like clicking through these and watching these what i was telling ken before we started recording was just that it might have not been something that's on my list to spend the weekend you know going through and watching (laughs) You, you know there's so many movies and tv shows but This was as rewarding, especially if you just have an interest in Apple and and seeing the – you can see the things, what everything that you see in these carries through to today. Yeah. Which really just kind of reaffirms why I love Apple and why we love Steve Jobs, Mm -hmm. and um, they're a joy to watch. It's real interesting, and you can already see when we go into episode two here, you're going to see this – progression and in the end too okay maybe i'll get a little theatric here (laughs) we're talking about like a great you know visionary like i mean i guess there's a little bit of yourself that goes like everyone's so sick of hearing about steve jobs or everybody likes steve jobs but he really is just um this this visionary that everybody can see it and it's amazing to kind of go back to the beginning and kind of watch that evolution happen yeah
0: and you know There's a lot of people that will say like, oh my gosh, stop putting Steve on a pedestal. Like, you know, I don't think I am. We're talking about the bad stuff too. He was so far from a perfect human, absolutely. But he did a lot of cool, come on. (laughs) But that's what makes him three-dimensional. Like you can't have a three-dimensional character without the struggles, but uh, he overcame them and he turned a company around. Like, like I said, at the beginning here, they have a valuation of over $2 trillion today. But what we're going to be talking about in episode two is like their share price was so, low and they were very close to insolvency and him now of course not just him it was a team effort they freaking got on the ship plugged the leaks turned it around and look at it today it's freaking crazy and not only they turned it around but they turned it around
1: with like innovation and fun they made made it a cooler ship yeah (laughs) yeah, it it was it was really and and kind of we see so many things that have kind of copied the Apple style now in a way of like the corporate type of lingo but you see the evolution through watching these things like Mm -hmm. when we get into episode two I mean that's a very corporate event and you know Steve really turned around and, and turned it into art. That these keynotes We'll get into this later, but you know, as the evolution happens, the keynotes that we're getting now are these pre-recorded things. They're they're great. They're beautiful. Apple does a wonderful job of them. But there is a magic in the keynote, the live event, when you're watching pieces of history, or that they're doing um, they're doing a look back on the years. They're showing clips of Steve Jobs. You know that always when you see something that's a recap of, like, mm-hmm. the, the, the 20th century and the tw- the early 21st century, they always throw a shot of Steve Jobs from a keynote. Oh, there. yeah.
0: You always... Yeah, and even just, like, on other, like, documentaries or whatever online that, like, or on TV that, like, talk about technology around the time, like, you always see, like, a flash of an iPod or an iMac or something, too. Like It's they're, shorthand.
1: They're a, a shot of Steve Jobs on stage <laughs> holding a uh, an iPad or an mm-hmm. iPhone is shorthand for, like... Uh, the visionary of the few I mean, I guess that's what Apple has always been for me and what Steve Jobs was pitching was like, Uh, a vision of the future and making technology frictionless Mm -hmm. for
0: someone who doesn't, isn't a coder doesn't really know. Yeah. And again, we're going to talk so much more as you probably have already picked up on. We're going to talk so much more than just about the products. We will talk about even like his little catchphrases that he starts making big, you know, one more thing and all that stuff and his presentation styles too. There's even a book out there. I think it's called like how to present like Steve Jobs. I want to dive into that and actually like research more from there to learn like on paper, what are some more of his presentation techniques too. We're gonna be talking about all that stuff here. So uh, I cannot wait for you guys to join us in the next episode. Make sure you subscribe so you can get it sent out to your feed. The idea is every other Monday, every other Monday morning, we like to make your Monday a fun day so you can have us with you in your car, commute to work. You can have us with you during your work day. That's why I like to release these on those Monday mornings, just to make your day and your work week that much better. So thank you, Brad, very much for being on this episode. And again, thanks to our friends at Linode. Go check them out if you need your Linux stuff running in the cloud. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. There's the links in the show notes. Thanks again, guys, for making this episode possible. And hey, if you're just finding our podcast now, you may not know, I do run a YouTube channel. The Computer Clan is a bigger thing than just this podcast. If you wanna see some more cool tech stuff and some tech scam busting and retro tech, The Computer Clan YouTube channel, link is in the description as well, go check that out. It's actually one of the longest running tech YouTube channels in history, and there's some really cool stuff on there. So if you're a techie and you need that tech fix, oh yeah, we got you covered on the Computer Clan YouTube channel. So go ahead and enjoy that stuff, and we'll see you on the next episode. On that next Monday, we do this every other week. Subscribe, stay tuned, catch the crazy, and pass it on.